and welcome to After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. And just like that, we're back to springtime once again. Last year at this point, the sunny days ahead did not seem quite so warm and full of promise as they seem to now. Forecasting has got a lot easier these past few months, but that may not be saying much given what we've been through this past year. There are still far too many variables moving quickly to have a forecast stay locked in for very long. Most people do not get into the economics gig for the limelight. It's a lot of effort and a lot of math, and not typically a lot of glamour. Yet this past year, we found the title of economist to be very interesting to a lot of people. It's been a little like being E.F. Hutton in the late 1980s. We developed this podcast and our social media stream to give you the inside glimpse of what it's like to be sitting in our research center and overhearing all of our side conversations as we track what's going on in the economy. So please have a seat, get comfortable, and please, no autographs. We are now a month out from the first publication of our March forecast. It seems like a great time to talk about what we know now and where our thoughts are headed. To help you track the different items we'll be discussing here, please note that we're recording this episode on April 14th, 2021. Depending on your calendar, your results may vary. Before diving into current economic thoughts, let's see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter, along with being cast into the role of host for this podcast. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on topics, as he has done for this latest issue. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Joining our team this month is Bethany King. Bethany is our research economist and will be working the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. We are very excited to have Bethany on our team, and since she's new to us, we've promised to play nicely today. Rounding out this powerful panel of guests today is Brianna Berkson, who's been with the center for several years and is currently a graduate assistant from Western's MBA program. Brianna wears many hats in our center, along with crafting many of our forecaster articles. We are still practicing good social distancing for this edition of After Office Hours, with not feet but miles between us. So with all of that, grab your beverage of your choice. You're likely in your own home after all, and let's take a look at what's happened in the past few weeks. Hart, I think we should start with the obvious place. COVID-19 continues to leave its mark on the region's economy in many different ways. Hart, let me ask you for some quick thoughts on a couple of big areas we're asked about pretty consistently. First is employment. When do we get back to normal? Well, I think if by normal you mean when do we get back to unemployment levels that were similar to pre-pandemic periods, uh, I just refer to the forecast to say uh, early to mid-2022. But if by normal you mean the same number and types of jobs that we had before COVID, uh, I'd say much longer or never, uh, right? The job mix is always changing and COVID accelerated some of the changes and created a few new ones of its own. So the, I mean, the, the types of jobs needed in retail is clearly changing. Uh, the number of jobs in travel and leisure is never gonna be the same. And then we have a lot of changes in the labor force, <coughs> labor force participation to think about uh, if, if you want to ask what's what's normal, right? People who left the workforce have not and who have not been looking for jobs lately. Uh, it's not clear how many of them are going to come back. So maybe I'm struggling here with your question about normal. What is that? You forgot to tell me what that really means. Well, and you you brought up the next obvious question, which is I've seen several articles lately about adverse impacts to women in employment. Can you unpack that in the context of our region? Is there something special about our region or or are we seeing those same kind of uh, adverse impacts? No, it's not unique uh, to our region at all. I mean, the, it's the recession that was somewhat unique or different um, and that social distancing and, the, and some of the various restrictions or closures 
hit service industries much harder than the goods producing sector, right? Historically, we've always seen much larger contractions in manufacturing and construction than say healthcare or food service during a recession. And this time that was reversed. And that reversal meant that the recession hit women and communities of color much harder than men. And uh, I dare say much, much harder than white men. Uh, for example, there, there are more women than men in food service, nursing home jobs, home health and person-to-person -person retail. And we've had the added layer that more women have been staying home with the kids who are home because school is online. It's just been really hard for women to navigate all these impacts. All right, so obviously we're seeing some shifts here and there. And so that brings me to real estate. So commercial real estate, let's start there. Does remote work or hoteling or whatever you wanna call it, there, there's all these different models. Does this cause a big problem? I mean, I've seen Boeing selling off office space. Well, okay, they say, they've listed the same piece of property several times. Companies are announcing smaller space utilization plans. Uh, there seems to be something to worry about here. Should I, should I be worried? I'll start by saying you, you should definitely keep an eye on it. If you happen to be the landlord, if you own some, some commercial buildings with, with specific tenants, then maybe you should worry. But in general, commercial real estate is in a big cloud of uncertainty. It's in a holding pattern. I think some of the stories we hear about everyone working remotely in the future are, are overblown, but clearly there are going to be some adjustments. Some people will be able to uh, work a flex schedule and with some remote work, and some offices are going to have to reconfigure to allow that flexibility and perhaps more spacing for those that are in the office. Some offices are going to have to reconfigure because the tasks that are done in that space are changing. Uh, and James, you and I've talked, some spaces are going to see a different purpose, right? Going from in-person retail to less in-person and more warehouse or pickup. But I mean, to answer your question, I, I don't think the internet, for example, means the death of small retail, but it certainly changes exactly how much square footage you need and how you use it. And that's rippling through office spaces now as well. So we need to see a little bit more about who comes back to work. So no one wants to make long-term commitments in, in commercial real estate right now because it's just so uncertain. All right, so let's talk residential real estate. Housing prices continue to surge. We've been one of the top markets month over month. Um, it's big news when we're not in the top top one or top two. It, are we? Is this a bubble? Are, are we seeing something weird going on in the real estate market that we should be thinking about? Yeah, I'll call it a bubble, but I'm, I'm going to use uh, the expression a rational bubble. Uh, and by that, I mean that some of the price increases we're seeing, uh, which seem to be shocking at first glance, actually make sense if you look at uh, interest or mortgage rates uh, in low inventories, income. We've seen a lot of stimulus money flow into the economy over the last decade or so. And some of that money has found its way into the stock market and, and specific housing markets like Seattle. We also have to remember that this recession hit lower income workers harder than higher income workers. So we've seen a lot more stress in the rental market than in the home purchasing area. Uh, and you have to remember that that, that surge that you, that you mentioned uh, in the region will slow if prices gets too high or mortgage rates come up. So yeah, it, it's, it's bubble-ish, but it's not based on the same sort of speculation we, we saw back in 2006, seven. Excellent. Okay. So now my, my brain goes to, to the, the retail side and it's, it's, it's an inflection that I have. I, I think of retail a lot. So Brianna, you worked on the recent article about retail sales. Um, our projections for retail sales seemed, well, we heard from several of our subscribers. They felt like we might be on the high side. And we, we've talked to folks about that with those kinds of concerns. Um, given 30 days more of data, what do you think? 
Yeah. So I think right now when we're thinking about retail sales and just economic data in general, we need to keep in mind our reference point. So last spring was when everything was starting to shut down, retail sales dropped off a cliff. So looking at, say, MasterCard data for March, they are saying they predict 26% growth in retail sales compared to March of 2020. Now, that seems really big. That's compared to our lowest point. Um, in comparison to 2019, they said the growth was only about 14%. So if we compare to a trend line, the growth isn't going to seem completely out of bounds. But compared to spring of last year, it's going to raise some eyebrows. Um, so with that being said, we do still expect retail sales growth to be pretty strong this year. Um, for March and Q2 in general, we're going to be seeing a lot of the effects of the recent stimulus payment. And then going forward over the next 12 months or so, um, a lot of new payments, direct payments to families with children, and also loosening pandemic restrictions on businesses as more and more people get vaccinated. I think right now we're sitting close to 40% of people having at least one shot and 25% having being fully vaccinated. So as more people are vaccinated and more things open up and more families are getting more money, I think retail sales, even keeping our reference point in mind, is still gonna grow strongly over the next year. Okay, Brianna. So that makes that tracks with everything we've been seeing and, and 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 tracks pretty well with the projections that we did a month ago. So that sounds great. But that brings the next obvious question to, to bring up. So Hart, you're back in the hot seat here. Let's talk about inflation. I'm reading a lot of articles about prices going up, uh, but also notes that these are caused by supply chain issues. A ship being stuck for a few days in a little canal didn't help. Um, ships stacked out in U.S. ports don't doesn't help. Um, now, granted, our Pacific Northwest ports are in a little better shape than than a lot of the ones around the country in that in that respect. So, a lack of shipping containers and empty ones being in the right place doesn't help. My question is this: You knew there was a question in here. Is this really inflation that we're talking about? And when does the Fed get involved? Well, I mean, you're you're raising a lot of the same points. The the Fed is is raising, and the reason the word patience comes up a lot. Um, I think we're gonna, or I think the Fed is going to wait before they do anything until they can see past those short-term disruptions, whether it's boats stuck in, in canals or something else. Uh, put another way, I, the Fed uh, wants, expects a bit of inflation this spring and summer for all the reasons you just mentioned, uh, plus a, a few more. But a bit of inflation for a brief period of time doesn't worry them. They'll want to see wages moving up and consumer prices moving up at say 2% uh, per year or a little more for an extended period, or that they fear that it's gonna be long lived before they do something like raising interest rates. So is this really inflation? Yes, but the question is how long? Because once the, once the, you get past that backlog of, of uh, container ships out in the port of Long Beach or something else, uh, what happens? You know, we, we've got all these shocks, some on the supply side, some on the demand side, COVID related. If they're short-lived, that's one story. If it leads to wage growth, wage pressures, and other sort of bigger factor, longer-term factors of inflation, that's another story. So I'm, I'm going to be the economist and say on the one hand, on the other, and say we're going to sit and wait. 
Well, and that, I think that's the point, though, right? Is that inflation isn't inherently bad all the way around. There's some real positive things that happen with inflation. Well, it helps helps you manage the debt a little bit easier. Uh, and you know, when we're talking about inflation at barely one percent for a while, getting back up to two percent doesn't worry the Fed. Um, and then saying you know, their new position of wanting to see inflation a little above that 2% target for a while, uh, you're just not into scary territory yet. This is, this is not the, uh, the early 80s, right? Double-digit double inflation? You know, the other thing we talked about the other day with some folks was it depends on which index you use, too, because the different indices for inflation measure different baskets of goods. Well, I mean, it, we've talked several times on this podcast, never look at just at one index or, or one data series, you know, because they, they all tell different things. But in the inflation shot, you've got the consumer price index or multiple versions of it for all consumers or urban consumers. You've got producer price indices, uh, the GDP price deflator, and they, they all give different insights. Uh, I mean, if you, would, if you were looking at a producer price index for building materials, you'd be kind of shocked. Uh, so I mean, it gets back to what Brianna was saying as well on the, on the retail side. Are you looking at year over year or month to month or inflation we've seen so far? It's not you know a forward looking. It's not the current measures of inflation aren't telling us this summer's inflation. It's last month's inflation. So we got to be careful about what we're getting in any any data series. All right. So that brings me back to thinking about our region more specifically. So Bethany, this is your, your, your opportunity is here. Here it comes. Chance to step into the limelight. The regional news continues to flow, but it seems to become a more usual pace, at least for us. We're not getting really big announcements left and right from Amazon, from Boeing, from REI. We're not seeing the same kind of bombardment we were seeing for a while. So things have slowed to the usual level of chaos, I guess is the way to say that. Any enhancements to what people should think about in the regional forecast? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that are happening in the region that are outside of the forecast. So first we have Boeing. So they're starting to pick pace back up producing 787s, 737s, and the restructuring and job cuts seem to be behind us. And so even though we don't really expect Boeing to pick back up to where it was before the pandemic, it looks like much of that loss is behind us. Second, we have nearly $1 billion in estimated unemployment fraud, which could really hurt state finances going forward. However, this is disputed and we don't take much stock in the number yet. So we're going to wait and see what happens with that. There's a lot of sources of revenue for the state and counties that we anticipated would be hard hit at the beginning and they've rebounded just fine. Finally, we have the ports of Seattle and Tacoma are starting to pick up some of the slack, as we mentioned before, um, with the ships stuck in the in the canal. A lot of West Coast ports are being hit hard, um, but our ports here are not being hit quite so hard. Excellent. I, I like I, I like the usual level of chaos. It's it's more manageable. Okay, so uh, tool man heart, grab your tool belt. Let's talk about construction. What's your thoughts on our forecast at this point? Well you said at the at the start that the forecast is forecasting is getting easier or at least the numbers are making more sense. And I think the construction and, and real estate section of the forecaster is really rather straightforward. I mean, sometimes the model challenges us to 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 think carefully and you make, wait a minute, why why are those numbers what what they are? And maybe the retail number, like why is it is asking, is that that too high? The construction forecast doesn't really challenge us. Uh, with surprises like that. I mean, we were expecting continued home price appreciation into 2022. 
but slowing sales. And I think that makes sense, right? Limited inventory and low mortgage rates should support prices, but that same limited inventory and, 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 the, and the level of prices will likely mean less activity. On the, on the rental side, we see recovery later this year building into 2022. The forecast calls for vacancy rates to drop a bit going into 22 and rents to move up a little, but no dramatic changes. Uh, there's still uncertainties we've already talked about with, with higher density properties, commercial areas, multifamily. Landlords and builders like those commercial property owners uh, have to be careful as they wait for the job market to improve and everyone has to be uh, mindful in addition to all that of, of uh, cost of materials. You asked about inflation, right? The cost of lumber and, and uh, along with a tight labor market and construction sector creates some interesting constraints uh, in construction. So it's gonna limit activity a little bit while simultaneously pointing to some higher prices. And you see both of those really rather cleanly in the forecast and that just makes Makes sense to me. All right, so that brings me back to employment then. So I'm thinking about employment in general, Bethany. We seem to be slowly recovering at this point. Anything in the data have your eye? Yes, the model, at least according to the model, we're expecting to see a surge in employment unless we get herd immunity. But there is definitely some uncertainty in that. We're not really sure exactly when we're gonna get herd immunity. And we also have states like Michigan that are having a resurgence in cases. So we still, have a lot of uncertainty about what the future holds for when exactly we hit that herd immunity and things can get back to normal. So we do expect um, employment to go back up, but the rate at which that happens is still a little, little bit uncertain. Yeah, and, and you know, as people look at uh, employment gains and recovery, it goes back to Hart's comment about normal, right? So people that used to have job A might wind up with job B. Um, and because job A no longer exists or that, that particular industry is smaller or um, recovered slower than the other industry and they were able to be employed in a, in a new industry. So we expect to see a lot of shifts along with that, with that employment recovery, which is going to be kind of fun to watch. Um, to the economists, you get that. It's fun to watch this stuff. I, I think a lot of what Bethany's saying is, is really interesting and it makes me think about the job skill mismatch as well because we're expecting that surge but sometimes the model doesn't really think about the skill set of those coming out or those looking for out of school or those looking for work versus what is being requested by employers. Uh, and we've got a lot of people that are having trouble filling jobs at the same time you've got a lot of people having trouble finding a job. That can seem odd at first until you think carefully about who's looking for what or who brings what to, to, uh, to offers what to an employer. So lots of fun tangents to explore there. For sure. I. Uh... It's it's really been interesting to see all of these kind of kind of recovery play out uh, in the data, and then you know taking a look at and see how different companies are responding to that. So Bethany, we create a monthly updates which are available to our online subscribers. Um, that is right, you can subscribe to the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. It's a very exciting thing to get in your mailbox. Can you share anything that you're looking forward to uh, in the next set of updates? Yeah, so I think that the most exciting thing here is that um, we're a year after the start of the pandemic. So our forecasts are going to be based on um, one year in the past, which was pandemic time. So we have a huge change in how forecasting is going to look like considering that our, our data that we're forecasting based off of is still pandemic time. So things are going to look a lot different than they did this time last year. 
That brings a close to this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis and to learn about other ways to connect with us. You can always reach us via our website, cebr.ww.edu, or by email, cebr at ww.edu, with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us speak at an event, at least virtually. After Office Hours, the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. Thank you to our producer, Jill Poon, with KDMC. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, have a great day and be sure to do your part by masking up.